Greetings, educators. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. You know that's right. Classroom Conversations is presented by the Georgia Department of Education in partnership with Georgia Public Broadcasting. And that's where I am right now at GPB Studios. I'm your host, Ashley Mingwasser. You know, today's topic feels like a return to my natural habitat as an English major. What we are about to discuss is whack. Um, No, not that whack. This whack. Writing across the curriculum. There's only one way to introduce our studio guests in haiku form. Microphones open for women wielding writing to fuel student minds. That felt so right. A warm literary welcome to Dr. Rebecca Harper, Associate Professor of Literacy and Director of the AU Writing Project at Augusta University. And having traveled from the land of Woodstock is Lee Willman, ELA and ESOL or ESOL teacher at River Ridge High School. Welcome, Logophiles. Thank, Thank you. you. How are you doing today? Right. Doing good. Doing good, Lee? Yeah. Did the haiku inspire you? Oh, definitely. Having poetry is always inspiring. Poet, and I don't know it and shouldn't know it. What did you think, Rebecca? (laughs) Oh, I loved it. I I could take your writing project class any day. I could probably use some help. Well, we have a professor in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Let me start with the fact that Rebecca is a published author of not one, but two books on the subject of writing. Her first is Content Area Writing That Rocks and Works. And the second is Right Now and Right On, Grades 6 through 12, 37 Strategies for Authentic Daily Writing in Every Content Area. Right Now and Right On. I do love a pun, Rebecca. Thanks. (laughs) Talk about your work at Augusta University and your work in schools with teachers. Well, uh, as you said, I'm an associate professor of literacy at Augusta University, and I've been there for about 14 years. And I mainly work with graduate students who are in our specialist program or our doctoral program. And when I first came there, I worked with undergrads, but I haven't spent a whole lot of time with them here lately. But I am in the schools a lot. I do a lot of professional learning with teachers, and I work with teachers all over the state. And go to, I get to go to classrooms and see kids, and that's one of the best parts of my job. The outreach part. Yes. Being in schools. Yeah. Yeah. What is a writing project in a sentence or two for people who don't know about it? It's a life-changing place. Oh, It is. It's totally different. It's unlike, I think, any kind of professional learning that I took part in, you know, in in anything besides writing project. It's just very different. It is transformative. It's a community of writers and teachers. And all we talk about is writing. Writing. Yeah. That sounds like a fun Friday night. And Lee has been through your program. What was that like, Lee? It was nothing short of amazing. I mean, to spend time with other teachers, learning the strategies that we could take back into our classroom almost immediately. It just really changed how I was as an educator. Sounds like a five-star recommendation. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your school and what you teach, Lee. So I am currently an ELA, ESOL teacher in what I think is the best county in Georgia. Okay. Cherokee County. Um, I teach at River Ridge High School, which is located in Woodstock, Georgia. We are a traditional public high school. We have about 1,800 students in the building, and I am very fortunate in that I um, head up our ESOL program at our school, and we have about 90 students in the program currently. In the ESOL program? Yes. 
Well, writing across the curriculum, that's really what we're going to be getting into today with you ladies. And I think writing across the curriculum described another way is writing in every content area or content area writing, which sets up my first question. In a nutshell, Dr. Harper, can you help us define content area writing? What is it? Well, I think the best thing to to say about content area writing is that we want our students to be able to see that we read and write in a number of disciplines, right? And a lot of times we typically push that off to the ELA folks and say, Mm -hmm. I'm not a reading teacher, I'm not a writing teacher. But if you teach, you're a reading teacher and you're a writing teacher. Ah. But the way that we look at reading and writing in social studies and in math and in science is a little different than we do in ELA. So when we're talking about writing engagements in content areas like those subjects I mentioned, much of it, the writing that we do is going to help our students process, think through material, and help them digest that difficult content. And probably retain information too, if they're having to put pencil or pen to paper. Or how are kids writing these days? Are they just using computers? Well, I think they write in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. I think that you see a lot of uh, social media happening. You know, you see them a lot, posting a lot on social media, and then they're doing, you know, the traditional academic pieces. But unfortunately, what happens sometimes with kids is they don't see that that personal writing that they're doing on Snapchat and wherever else, that that counts too. Yeah, and it's a reflection of their writing abilities. Absolutely. And we can use that in the classroom as ah. spendable capital that can get students to see, hey, you actually do know how to do this. You're already doing it at home, and nobody's even asked you to do it. You're just doing it because you want to. Way to leverage that. That's really smart. Lee, why is this content area writing approach so powerful for students, including your ESOL students? Yes. And why is it powerful for teachers, too? So it's very powerful for students because if you think about it, a student who does not like the English writing or reading, they're going to resist or come to the English classroom with this, ooh, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But if they're in the content area that they love, whether it's science, math, history and they like the content, they're going to dive right into the writing assignments because they're interested in the content. They're not going to think of it, oh, I got to write this research paper. They're going to think, ooh, I got to do some research on something that I'm interested in, and then I'll produce either a one-pager or I'll produce a presentation or I'll make a post about it. And it really allows them to not only enjoy the content, but also produce something that's creative. And how is it powerful for teachers? It's very powerful for teachers because it allows them to see a different side of their students. It, imagine you're in a math classroom and you're te- you only see your students doing math problems. But if you throw in a writing assignment, you might actually have the opportunity to get to know your students on a personal level and make some connections other than, oh, you did that problem correctly. Good job. You might be able to say, oh, wow. You grew up in this area. I once went and visited there because if they're doing an activity related to writing and math, you might actually get to know your students. You might get to know them better. Anything to add, Rebecca? No, I think Lee is exactly right. I think that, you know, writing is powerful no matter where it's used. And we, we only get better at doing something if we practice. Right. And so in order for our students to get better at writing, They have to write. They have to write. And I think that's one of my favorite phrases of the writing vernacular is the practice of writing, which forces us to understand that writing is a practice, that it is taught. I think that's comforting for teachers and for students because it's in the working on it, the exercising that muscle, that it gets good. It's just not inherently good. And we'll we'll talk more about that later. 
So it sometimes helps to define a thing by what it is not. Let's take that approach to understand what content area writing isn't. Can you share some common misconceptions with us? You first, Rebecca. Well, I think that what I see with teachers when I go out to do professional learning is that a lot of folks who are in math, science, and social studies think that the writing that they have to do in their classes has to look like what it would look like in an English language arts classroom. They think that it has to go through multiple stages, it has to go through all the pieces and the process, and then it should end up being polished. And that's not accurate. Hmm. Really, the writing that you're doing in content areas should look drafty. It should look rough and ugly like me in not middle perfect. school. It, exactly. The practice of. Yeah. Exactly. And, and one of my favorite poets, Broad Baggart, said to us one time when he came to visit my students, write your worst. Because anybody ah. can do that. And so I think that in content classrooms, most of what we are going to have our students do is not going to ever make it to a publishable piece, but it's more thinking through and writing through the content. Writing through the content. What are some common misconceptions you see, Lee? I think like Dr. Harper says, you know, when you're writing in the content area, you're writing to develop skills and you're writing about stuff that you're interested in, whereas in the English classroom, you're writing to learn about grammar and syntax and mood and tone. And those are not the kind of skills that you're going to be teaching in a math, history, or science classroom. Really, in the content area, you want the kids to get writing, but you don't want them to be worried about the little details that often we think about when we're in the English classroom. Why do you think some of these misconceptions persist? Because most teachers have not had professional learning in writing, nor did they have college classes that address how do we teach writers. I see. Mm -hmm. And I say that as I was a middle grades writing teacher. That's, that's what I was hired to do was to teach writing. I had four classes of writing and one class of history. And I had no undergraduate courses that focused on that. And the only way that I figured out how to do it was being part of a writing project site, ah. which is why I go back to transformative. That's, that, that's how important that time in that writing project was for me because it transformed my teaching. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is when you are learning the different strategies on how to teach students to write, it really changes how you are as a teacher. Um, and there's just been so many times when I've taken a strategy from the writing project and brought it into the classroom and it's been a success. And that's huge as a teacher because oftentimes you have a great idea, you bring it to the classroom, and it's not the success that you thought it would be. But every strategy that I learned through the writing project that I brought back to the class has always been a success. I'm curious, what makes what makes it successful? Uh, Do when you gauge you that by your students? Yeah, it's always judged by your students and their reaction and what they produce. Very nice. The conversation about content area writing often focuses on the commonalities, but I want to know about the differences. What are differences between writing in an ELA classroom versus writing in for social studies, for example? Yeah. Well, in ELA, you might focus on things like vivid vocabulary and voice and, as Lee mentioned, mood, tone, those pieces. In math... We don't care about that. We don't care about voice. We care about academic vocabulary. We care about succinct explanations of what we did. Can I justify my answer? So there are lots of things. You're not necessarily going to tell a story in science. You're going to maybe lay out a procedural text. So there are different demands in, in different uh, subject areas, but you will see that there are some overlap because no matter whether you're writing in, in whatever content, you have to know how to organize your writing. 
So you have to be well organized when you explain what you did in math, but also when you write that personal narrative in ELA. So there are pieces that that you know overlap and that work in tandem, but then there are also ones that that's that kind of function in that specific discipline. So it's really the application. You still need the basic mechanics of writing, but the way you use it is different in every subject area. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you're in the ELA classroom, you're looking for specific skills related to writing, whereas when you're in the content area, you're just simply looking to see if your students can take the skills that they're learning and apply it to what they're doing. For example, in the math classroom, we always got asked, well, when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> so saucy. <laughs> and, oh, yes. <laughs> and I love it. Um, and my math teacher and I, we took those opportunities to tell the students, like, this is how you're going to use it. I'll tell you when. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like when you go to make a recipe or when you're trying to determine, well, what's 50% off of this top that I want to buy? Stuff like that. But when I brought in the writing component to the math classroom, it just opened up the student's imagination, and it really allowed my math teacher and I to connect with the students because they began telling us their personal narrative through numbers, and it was just an incredible experience. I want to hear about that, Lee. Tell us about a particular strategy that you've used with students. What was your learning target? What did you do? What did you ask them to do? Tell us everything. So what I did was, this is a strategy I learned in the writing project, you're going to, it's not so much a timeline as it's you telling your story through numbers. And because it was in a math classroom and we were talking about numbers, it could be related back to math. And so what I did was I told the students my story using numbers. In other words, the birth date, the address where I lived, how many, li- how many years I lived in this place, how many people I lived with and for how long. And so I took them from when I was born up into the current year of teaching. And then the kids all got a piece of paper and they were given the freedom to write their own timeline. Using numbers. Using numbers. And it was just amazing because students literally for the first time ever, high school students were coming up to me at the end of class and being like, look at my timeline. Look what I wrote. Look what I did. And I have students who never talk or who have a lower level of English proficiency who are able to draw their story and write it out and show me what their personal narrative was using numbers, whether it was a date, an address. They talked about animals. They talked about siblings. They talked about where they had lived. And it was just really powerful. And look what you did. You had them telling stories about themselves. I bet they enjoyed that self-reflective part of it. They really did. And it's funny because I teach a lot of the same students this year. And I mentioned to them that I was going to be talking about that project. They're like, oh, can we do that again this year? And I'm <laughs> I've like, got more to add to my story. Yeah, exactly. Did that build bonds between students and class because they're sharing details about their personal lives? Um, yes and no. It was more them telling their story to me. To you. Yeah. And they were doing it in a safe way way in that they could put it on paper and they didn't have to share it if they didn't want to. But so many of them wanted to share it with me that I just I felt very, very fortunate in that moment. That's special. Letting you in. Well, I want to hear more about this. I want to mine you both for tricks of the trade. What tips do you have for teachers of all content areas who are ready to enhance their writing instruction? I think you've got to know your students and you ought to know what is it that they enjoy and like doing. 
um, that I think gives you spendable capital in the classroom. You know, I the the activities engagements that work best with students that I interact with are ones that are relevant to their lives. So getting to know your kids and then figuring out what are they already writing and how can I leverage that. So if I know my students are on Snapchat and Instagram and I know they're proficient in these these captions and and what's you know what's a post worthy versus what's story worthy, I use that to teach main idea and and, and extra detail. You know, I've asked random, Brilliant. random kids. So how do you know decide what's going to be posted and what goes in your story? And they are ex- able to explain. And basically what they're able to, what they're telling me is they know the difference between what's an important detail, post-worthy, versus what's something that's an extraneous detail, story-worthy, because it's going to go away in 24 hours. Right. I have to teach that anyway. It's I have to teach yeah, main idea. And, yeah. yeah. And summary. So I took that and used that in my teaching because what that tells me is that child already knows what that skill is. But in the real world, we don't call it the same thing that we do in the academic world. So we ask students for summaries and we ask them to compare and contrast. In the real world, we don't say things like that. You know, we we function in hashtags and tell me about your day. Those are all summaries. Hashtags are main ideas. That's ah, all they are. So hashtags can, are main ideas. They are. That's all it is. That needs to be a bumper sticker, yeah. Rebecca. Hashtags yeah. are main ideas. They are. And and the other thing, too, is the generation that we're teaching right now did not have to learn that hashtag meant anything but hashtag. That's all it's ever been. Right. It was never it was pound. Never the pound sign. It was never <laughs> the number symbol. It's always been hashtag. Yeah. Use it in your teaching. Yeah. That's what I do. That is so smart. So you're taking common practices out in society and in their social worlds, the worlds that excite them, and extrapolating that to the instruction. Yeah, I mean, why not? Because just this past week, I was talking to a group of teachers about informational text and how that's structured. And a lot of our students attack an informational text the same way they would a narrative. And they don't look at subtitles and subheadings and such. But so I asked the question, when you go to the grocery store and you're at a new Kroger, how do you find bread? Well, you look at the signs at the top. Those are nothing but subheadings and main ideas. That's how you know bread's here and not milk. So I tell students, if you're reading an informational text and the question asks you about this one thing, don't be that person in Kroger on the bread aisle looking for milk. <laughs> Use those subheadings. Those are, those are main ideas in the real world. So making those connections, because to Lee's point, our kids often ask us, why do I need to know this? Why do I? What's a real world example? I can give you real world examples of literacy all day long. All day Just long. give me time, and I will. You mentioned the person in the aisle. I that person is there all the time, aren't yeah. you? We see them when we go grocery shopping. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. you just want to say, "Ma'am, this is not where the eggs are stored." This <laughs> look is at not your it. subheadings look, and your main ideas. Look please. at your subheadings, ma'am. I'm going to use that next time at Kroger. Thank you. <laughs> what tips do you have for teachers, Lee? Um, I would just say don't be afraid to think outside the box. And maybe even if you're interested in a podcast, have your students do a podcast. Or like what Dr. Harper says with social media, instead of having them write a summary, let them do a one-pager. Let them use Canva or Adobe Spark and let them try and be flexible and be creative with their ideas. And it's going to come naturally. It's going to come very naturally. Are there any other tips you would like to share? Oh, my gosh. I have have, so many. You have so many. Where do we even start? If you think of any others, let me know. We're not done with this conversation. But how do you both think a school-wide effort in content area writing could take root? What could teachers and administrators do to spread the good gospel here? Well, I think 
that the first thing is we have to ask teachers what do they need. You know, a lot of times we, you know, come into professional learning and teachers are told they have to come to a session and nobody's asked them, what is it that you need? So I think getting teacher buy-in is really important. Um, you know, writing is one of those skills that it doesn't matter what you plan to do in your life, you're probably going to need to know how to write in some form or fashion for some type of audience or for some different purpose. But finding out what is it that my teachers need. And so when I go out to schools, the very first thing I ask teachers that are in front of me, I don't assume that I know what they need. I ask, what are your students doing well? What are they still struggling with? And then that's how I frame whatever we're going to talk about. Because if you're doing, if you if you know summary cold, we're not going to go over that. So getting teacher buy-in is huge. And letting them feel like they are part of that conversation and that and that process, you know? Yeah. What about you, Lee? I think that that is absolutely accurate. I think that if it's going to be a school-wide initiative, you need to have teachers from all content areas be a part of the planning process. It can't just sit in the English department. It's got to be history, math, science, CTAE. It's got to be all your departments who are at the table ready to plan the school-wide initiative. And then, like Dr. Harper says, the teachers have to buy into it and be ready to, you know, flex their writing skills and flex their muscles. (laughs) Flex their writing muscles. So you need passion from teachers in every content area who are willing to come together and be creative. And you might be surprised at who really just has the creative skills and who has the writing skills who are actually not teaching writing in the school. What a discovery. Well, I'd like to leave our teachers with some strong leads to sharpen their writing toolbox. So what resources are out there that can help them hone their content area writing strategies? I would say, you know, look to your local um, colleges and universities to see if they have a writing program like what Dr. Like Harper what runs. Rebecca does, yeah. And I think that also look at the teachers in your building. You never know. Look to your instructional coach. Look to your ILS. Look to teachers within your department and say, I have this idea. What do you think? And oftentimes there will be at least one or two other teachers at the table who will be like, I know exactly what we should do. And they'll just take it and run with it. I agree. I think definitely my first thing would be find a national writing project. That's the first thing, because that's the pivot point for so many teachers. Um, but even if you can't connect with a writing project, that's a great resource. You know, their their website, NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English, is another great resource for, uh, you know, writing frameworks. And then, you know, finding that community of teachers who, you know, being able to say, my students are struggling with this or I'm struggling with teaching this. Could you help me? And sometimes you find these allies in your school that are from unlikely sources. Mm. You know, you might not not think, but... You know, there's a lot of really great literacy things that are happening outside of the ELA classroom. I see it all the time. So, you know, just being able to talk to your colleagues and say, hey, I want to think about incorporating a new novel that maybe addresses something you're teaching in history. Can you tell me about your content? You know, those kinds of things, I think, open a lot of conversations and and have a, a ton of potential for teachers. It sounds like there are resources inside your school system and outside And making use of both is really the way to success there. I think so. And I don't think you ever should be satisfied with doing what you've always done. Mm. You know, there's always, you know, there's, I never teach the same lesson twice, the same way. You know, there's always something different. You know, either there's a new 
a resource I pull in or there's a new strategy or there's some new little subtle piece, I never do the same thing. You know, you know more, I just don't do it over and over again because you want to refine your craft. So just don't be okay with what you've always done. Yeah. Keep know? it fresh like produce at Kroger. Well, yeah. And to you go know, back to Kroger. you've got to yeah. be willing, I think, to try something and fail forward. Right. Yeah. And just Love keep that. doing it. Just keep doing it. Because, you know, the reality is, is that sometimes you're going to teach a lesson and it's not going to go well. That's mm. OK. But that's yeah. just as important as the one that was off the charts. Awesome. You can learn just as much from that one that went off the rails. Right. I agree. I think that you need to just keep trying different ways to teach. And I have found that one lesson will do great with one group of students. And that same lesson with a different group of students will just fall flat on its face. Know your audience, right? Yes. It's the number one rule of writing exactly. and speaking. Yeah. Any last words on writing? You know, just keep doing it. And don't you know, stress out about it. Just do it. You're already writing every day, whether you're making grocery lists or you're writing down directions or you're trying to um, get things organized. You're already writing. Just keep going. Yeah, I think getting students to see that, you know, it's really easy for me to prove that I'm a reader. In order for me to prove that I am a reader, I just have to read something to you and, you know, you've seen it. But a lot of students and adults think that being a writer means that you publish something. But we're all writers and I think the thing that teachers have to remember is, you know, in order for us to get our students to want to do something, we have to be willing to do it with them. Otherwise, it's like telling students it's important for you to learn how to swim, but we don't ever go in the water. So I think as teachers of writing, you have to be willing to wade into wade the shallows. In the water. And then you have to be willing to jump in the deep end with them and swim because that's one of the best pieces. That's just as important um, for students, as, as much as it's important as to have great resources, it's so important for them to see you as the teacher, as a writer, too. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Rebecca Harper and Lee Wilman. You've blown us away. Is your version of a mic drop a pin drop? I'm just curious. That would be perfect. <laughs> yes. That's what we need. That's what yes. we need around here. Well, go ahead and drop your pins because your work is transforming how teachers teach writing and how kids engage with writing. So thank you for that. And that is all she wrote. Thank you for tuning in to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. It's true today, and it's true every day. You're a great teacher. Goodbye.